This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's three minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.7 3RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. My name's Dr Beach. Hi, Dr Beach. I'm very well. Excellent. And you? I'm very well, thank you. That's good. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. As always, another, lovely, Another wonderful. wonderful Vital Bits. Oh, ha- happy Mother's Day, Bron, oh, and thanks. happy Mother's Day to all the other mothers out there. Yeah. Even I have one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting day. You, you, happy Mother's Day if, uh, if today's a day of celebration for you and... Uh, could be a day of reflection for some. Could be a day of just not wanting to even know that it's there but for various that, reasons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Today's program, uh, we're going to launch right into it shortly. We're going to be joined uh, by Neil Blake. He's going to be talking to us about what he does as the baykeeper of Port Phillip Bay, um, some uh, marine citizen science and also some observations he's been making about uh, those pesky northern Pacific sea stars. Pesky is almost kind of underrating them. Yeah, Asterius the, amurensis. Those pen- pernicious yeah. northern Pacific sea stars, I would say. Uh, and uh, Neil's got some thoughts on what we the uh, generic term um, largely government should be doing about their current and potential future management what's happening at the moment but maybe some alternatives okay hmm. i look forward to talking to neil about that one yeah we're then going to we're, we're covering the entire eastern seaboard this morning dr beach oh, we, well yeah, yeah we, we want to rule the universe we're starting <laughs> with the eastern seaboard so we're going up to cairns to speak with david Cazzolino from the australian marine conservation society he's one of their main campaign managers and we're going to have a talk to him about next week's federal election on saturday potentially very important and crucial turning point in how our seas oceans and coasts are going to be protected by our nation's leaders heading into the future. We know they've had a pretty um, patchy, shall we say, um, record. Indeed. Um, yeah, so with a week to go, to, well, less than a week to go to that, um, that wonderful plebiscite that we have, people might be wanting a few tips on, you know, we're not going to tell you how to vote. No. We're just going to put you, which we're going to lay the information in front of you, So yes. which you choose. So what the AMCS have done is re- have a look at all of the policies that have come out from the three major parties, yeah. um, so the Coalition, Labor and the Greens, and they've ranked the policies. There are six key areas that they've had a look at. They've gone right down in and had a look at what they're committing to doing. And they've come up with a scorecard, which is pretty simple to follow. It's either a, you know, green tick or a red cross or a... Elephant you know, stamp all the way down to a, like a, you know... Yeah. Koala stamp or but something? It's a, it's a three-point grading system. So you, right. Yeah. Um, and then if you want, you can go in and look in detail about their analysis. So we're going to speak with David about why they chose the six areas that they've chosen or what they are, mm-hmm. why they've chosen them and how they've gone about assessing them. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we're going to stay in election mode and uh, go from Cairns to Byron Bay to speak with Sean Doherty from the Fight from Fight for the Bite campaign. We've been following this over the last couple of months. So this is a, a national campaign. In fact, it's become international now to uh, to draw attention to and prevent deep sea drilling in Great Australian Bight by Norwegian company Equinor. 
a very important issue. Mm. And uh, Sean's been having a look at the, the um, promises being made by various parties in relation to this campaign. So I had a chat with him yesterday on the phone and, uh, yeah, really interesting um, in terms of the promises that are being made but also the fact that this might be not quite a local issue as it was looking like it was going to be, starting to um, some of the... Some of the uh, MPs out there, and the would-be MPs, the candidates are all starting to sit up and take notice at the eleventh hour about this this issue. So, really uh, looking forward so to be, speaking with Sean. Yeah, it'd be good to talk to Sean. And we're going to cross to Doctor mm-hmm. Surf for a surf report. And uh, you've got some news, Doctor Beach. I'm wondering whether should okay. we start with a weather report? Oh, all right. Yeah, clunk, <laughs> clunk. That, that's, that's a clap of thunder. That's Thor waking up. Um, it's going to be 18 degrees today, cloudy, slight chance of a light shower, mainly over the eastern suburbs, light winds. So, yeah, less than one millimetre of rain. Looking forward, tomorrow is going to be 18 degrees, 18 Tuesday, 17 Wednesday, 17 Thursday. So, yeah, around your 17s, your 18s, brawn, less than one millimetre of rain, uh, perhaps about five, up to five millimetres of rain next Saturday. But who knows what's going to happen by then. Oh, we could all be dead by then. Um, we've got the... Well, no, you know... Let's like, hope you not. Know, Dead inside. Dead, well, not dead inside, but, you know, it <laughs> could, could be sort of, you know, dinosaur wiping out meteorite is oh, hurtling towards us. We're just not aware of it yet. Um, tides, if you want to know what's happening on the water, it is... It, well, it was at... No, Williamstown, we don't care about that. Point Lonsdale... Point well, Lonsdale people is, in Williamstown might <laughs> care about that. In fact, Point Lonsdale is just a complete blank in the paper this morning with the tides, with respect to tides. So all I can tell you is what's happening. We do indeed care very much about Williamstown. Um, it's going to be a high tide, or was a high tide, at 7.20 this morning at Williamstown. Low tide at 2.12 um, at Williamstown. Dr Surf's going to talk us about, tell, tell us about the, um, the surf later on. Great. I'd just like to spruik a couple of things. Please. If I may. Um, do you enjoy beer with your science? I Brian? do. Yeah. I enjoy beer with lots of things. Well, Pint of Science is for you. Mm. This is a festival which is coming up 20th to the 22nd of May. There's lots of very interesting um, talks by scientists, card-carrying scientists, that is people with master's degrees, PhDs, things like that, or just a very educated interest at lots of lovely venues from the Exchange Hotel, Richmond Bowling Club, Royal Melbourne Hotel, all sorts of stuff. You can check it all out on the web under Pint of Science. But um, at the Provincial Hotel in Brunswick Street, um, there are a few gigs coming on there. And I'll just pick up my favourite surf- search engine here. Um, three marine-related things entitled Let's Dive In. So we're starting off with Seagraph. Seagrass, Why Should We Love It, with um, Amanda Clark. Plus a lot of PhD students from all over the country. It's not just your Monash, it's Melbourne's, La Trobes. It's from um, Melissa, for example, from the University of Newcastle. PhD students are the best. They know exactly what's going on. Yeah, they're on fire. Uh, and then we have Matthew MacArthur, who's a marine ecologist and science communicator, talking about diving with the kiwis among the penguins. Yeah, Matt MacArthur. He's Matt been on MacArthur. our he's been on our show a couple of times. Of course he has. That's yeah. right. And then we have somebody talking about poo, Miss Kathy Cavallo. She's a PhD candidate at Monash University. She's uncovering the secrets of faecal DNA, particularly with respect to penguins. Oh, um, and she's awesome. uh, she does stuff with the Antarctic Division. Um, so go to Pint of Science, check out all of these wonderful things and more. I've just given you a snapshot. This is just one show so it cost you six bucks to go along to this to hear those three people have a couple of jars when, while you're there when's it on this is on the 20th of may doors open at 6 30 for 7 p.m show ends at 10 p.m um get your tickets this one's at the provincial hotel but as i said they are all over the place at our fine um various fine venues you know so 
Thornbury, Newmarket Hotel, Carton Brewhouse, all sorts of things. And I'm pretty sure Shane's going to be talking more about this next week on Einstein and Gogo. Great. Um, yeah, so check it out if you want to go along to that. So just with that marine one again, the provincial on it'll be Monday the 20th of May, so tomorrow week. Six bucks to hear three incredible speakers with beer. I mean, what's not to love about That's that? Right. Well, I think you have to. I mean, it's not open tap. I think for six bucks you've still got to go and buy, oh, yourself, yeah. buy yourself a pint. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that was the case. You're one of those people, Bron, that rocks up to gallery openings. Oh, yeah, I'll have a champ. I'll have another one. I did the bit of that yesterday, actually. That's why it's so fresh in my mind. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. As you can probably tell. I can. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the Williamstown gaff that gave you away. <laughs> uh, have you got anything else to spruik before we play some music? Well, this is kind of a retrospective spruik. Um, it's safe Western Port. We've all heard about um, AGL and um, what's potentially going to happen at Crib Point. Um, I had an email from Louise from the Safe Western Port Group during the week um, saying that on May the 1st they had a big get-together there and there was just millions of people, well, at least 500, and standing room only. Um, so that's great. There was such an overwhelming response, quote-unquote, from Lisa. So she's very pleased about that. And um, just to remind people, go to Save Western Port to see what's happening with the important campaign down there. Well, it's important in my opinion um, about AGL. Thank you, Dr. Beach. Pleasure. We are now welcoming into the studio our next guest who's having a bit of trouble with his headphones, Get so we just, we're going to go straight down. I might, Kent will fix them for you. Thank you, Kent. Uh, Neil, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Brian? Good, thanks. How are you? Very well. It's great to be here, as usual. It's good to have you back. Thank okay, you. well. Kent, isn't we're, we're, he so competent? Kent, <laughs> we're just pausing here for Neil to put his headphones on. There we go. It works. Thanks, Kent. Um, have you been? Yeah, great. Really good. Um, lots going on, as usual. Uh, and yeah, b- uh, particularly the Northern Pacific Sea Stars have uh, raised their heads in the recent times. So, uh, yeah, they've sort of gone o- under the radar as far as interest. Of them. You know, things peaked, um, what, maybe 15, even 20 years ago when they really first arrived en masse and there was an enormous amount of fear around what was potentially going to happen with them. Um, and yes. then, and it's kind of, it's, it really has, I guess, have they, do you think they've just become an accepted part of the, you know, unwanted but accepted part of the ecosystem? Oh, well, to some, <laughs> definitely not to others, though, yeah. yes. Uh, uh, we, we, I'm proposing that we actually have a celebration of Northern Pacific sea stars as the most uh, pervasive and pernicious pest that we could possibly have. And uh, maybe then once we've got people's attention, we can think about, well, perhaps we could be doing something a little bit more. Can, can we just uh, step back a tiny bit for a second for, for the, the, the odd few listeners out there who might not have heard what's happening with the Northern Pacific sea star, what it is, where it's from, why we're worried. Yeah, well, the Northern Pacific Sea Stars arrived in uh, Port Phillip Bay, I think it was about 1995, from from the Derwent in Tasmania, actually. So uh, uh, they'd obviously arrived there from Japan and around uh, China, those, those that part of the world, uh, in ballast water yep. uh, from some kind of uh, freighter. And um, as a result, uh, they're, they're really well established in, in the Derwent, but now also in Port Phillip Bay. So... Uh, uh, they have an incredible um, capacity to reproduce. So some people say they each one might produce 23 million eggs or something like that. I'm not sure whether it was you who counted them, Dr. Beach. But, uh, I, 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 well, it, it wasn't me, but, but yeah, I remember hearing those data, that, yeah. those numbers. So, uh, that, and 
they, their spawning uh, season too it seems to be relatively long though, though so it, it is a bit related to water temperatures and so uh, I guess uh, the approach that's been taken over the years from the uh, national plan to control uh, invasive pests such as northern pacific sea stars has been to try to prevent them spreading when they're already established so that's essentially all that's being done uh, and the only measures to do that are primarily just voluntary so for people who've got boats to wash down their hulls if they're going to move or their trailers if they're going to move them into other waters uh, to prevent any larvae or uh, sub-adults uh, being spread uh, into into other areas. And the other issue with the Northern Pacific Sea Star is predators, isn't it? Because there's not that many, there are not that many creatures out there that will actually eat them. No, that's right. There, uh, there's some uh, reference to 11 armed sea stars possibly eating the spat of, of Northern Pacific Sea Stars, but uh, uh, the problem with that, though, is that this, it's, it's, it's a numbers game. There's just so many of uh, the Northern Pacifics that... Uh, even if there are some predators that might actually take some of them, uh, they're not really going to um, stop their mark. So, so we can kind of liken it to the rabbits being released here and then going nuts. Yeah, there's no question. On that, that's right. And the bigger issue, though, is that uh, they, because they feed on uh, benthic organisms, uh, that they, they really have the potential to change the whole ecology of the bay yeah. because yeah. The, the, those mollusks, etc., in the, in the seabed and on the seabed are actually really cycling nutrient and under, uh, underpinning the whole uh, food chain. The irony of the 11 armed sea star is that people often, and they're still doing it, because I've had, uh, it was actually my brother who spotted, he actually ended up getting into an almost stand-up argument with someone on a pier who had brought up an 11 armed sea star and was killing it, saying, oh, this is that introduced pest of sea star that's yeah. come from overseas and my brother's like no 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 this is the native one in fact these ones eat them leave it alone yeah. and he said oh you don't know what you're talking about and proceeded to mm. to kill the the, the 11 arm sea star so there's confusion out there because the 11 arm sea star it look <laughs> can be mistaken for uh, a sea star which looks a little bit like crown of thorns they're completely different but in, in their appearance you know i can understand why people would get confused so yeah. they see this thing and their brain goes oh that looks like that pest sea star from queensland it must be the northern pacific sea star and yeah. and that, that confusion's out there still even though there's been an enormous amount of work done by um, various departments and parks victoria over the years to to have clear signage um, really get some education campaigns out there people are still getting confused yeah well i guess uh you know that that is the question though just has there been enough work done i mean it's true there has been some work done but uh it's clear though that there needs to be more so um that's what i would suggest that we could do with a local task force to actually get together and made up of different stakeholder groups including government and community organizations and uh, uh boating sector mm. and uh, wrangling communities who are obviously uh, people who are going to run into these creatures uh, to actually come up with some strategies to um, raise better awareness and also have some plans possibly to opportunistically remove them if if possible. When you when you mentioned the other day there was this, like this announced outbreak on, on Anzac Day I think it was. That's right. There yeah. was really no <clears throat> well no plan certainly but but no option to say go to these you know this group of people who are going to go in and clean them up. It certainly wasn't us either. I'm, I haven't put my hand up, I'm, but it's, 
you know, we mm. need that sort of yeah, that you emergency need some communication and yeah. collaboration between sectors. You know, for example, this particular situation, there was a skip load of uh, Northern Pacific sea stars in ankle deep water off the Karam shoreline. Mm. They could have easily been removed by 100 volunteers with a bucket brigade if, if the local council had to come and park the skip on the beach. You know, and there was organisation about where that skip was going to go to, how they'd be disposed, all of that sort of stuff could have been done, but it didn't. Mm. simply because there's no plan. Just in case people are listening and, and still thinking, I'm, I'm still not clear on what these things look like. Mm-hmm. They're relatively small. They, they're bright, generally bright yellow. They can have little purple bits on them, particularly towards yeah. the tips of their relatively arms. Relatively small means what? Oh, the ones that I've seen, generally 10, 10 centimetres maybe across. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They can get larger than that, but the majority of them are around about as big as your hand prints. Yeah, and yellow and yeah. five arms. This is the important part. There are five, and there are other sea stars out there that also have five arms. True, but, but the Northern Pacifics, though, they they actually have their the tips of their arms upturned. Right. Almost like those little court jester booties, you know, they have oh, the yep, pointy yep. sort of things <laughs> yep. So that, that's a really significant difference and easy to pick that. So and the 11 arm sea star is kind of grey. They really are quite big. They can be maybe 40 centimetres across in general. Yeah. I'm kind of holding my hands yeah, out thinking bigger, I reckon yeah. that's about 40 centimetres. But they have 11 arms yep. and they're kind of grey. They're a bit gnarly looking. Yeah. They're kind of bumpy to the texture. Sometimes purple too or purplish. So they're variable. Yeah, when you have them side by side side you kind of look at them and go oh right they look completely different yeah it's about perception i think well if you count the number of fingers you got on your hand <laughs> and then look at the sea star and say yeah that's about right yeah. then that's a northern pacific yeah and then you have little biscuit stars which are far more sort of flat shaped and all sorts of other types yeah. of stars but <clears throat> yep that is the northern pacific sea star mm-hmm. yeah all right so to the question of what can be done you've mentioned yeah, some well, suggestions i think really uh you know i have to say that um, Victoria needs to lift its game. Essentially, you know, okay, they're here, but we should be still trying to do something, even if it's monitoring and researching, you know, their movements and what are they actually feeding on, you know. So why is it, for example, that this massive sea stars turned up that Caramon apparently have done so in recent uh, times? So uh, we need to understand the problem a little bit more. We can't just allow this species to continue to uh, basically raid the bay. They, if they do um, eliminate the mollusk species that are providing the food chain for the snapper and all the rest of it, well, a lot of people are going to be pretty grumpy about that. But, you know, apart from that, we need to look after the bay and keep it in good health. So uh, understanding the problem and putting more resources into doing that and, as I said, opportunistically removing, if, if possible, uh, seems like the way to go. Are you finding with your networks and the enormous amount of citizen science work that you lead and are involved in that others are having a similar view to yours? Uh, well, a lot of everyone uh, in the community level, I suppose, and also I'd suggest in government, have got their own particular focus and, and this is one that's sort of slept a little bit uh, for over many years. Mm. So we, we produced a, uh, a best practice guide to removal of North Pacific sea stars in 2013 and that was a federally funded project to come up with a, a strategy to do that. And that uh, project received no response from anyone within government, not even anyone ringing up and saying, oh, that's, that's interesting, good on you. Uh, <laughs> just no reaction whatsoever, you know, and because people have got their own, and, and I suspect it's partly because, not because people are lazy, but they're just already 
overwhelmed with uh, responsibilities and other areas that they've got to do. And this is something that's just been left to the side. Mm. Thanks for raising this one, Neil. Um, yeah, well, I'll be making a few calls to a couple of different people from the Department of Agriculture, etc., who whose brief it is to um, address these issues and uh, just see if we can get a local forum happening where we can get better communication and uh, some positive uh, action. Excellent. Uh, any other programs coming up in the next sort of four to six weeks before we have you back in that you want to plug? Or should we just direct well, people I to the did, Eco Centre? I did have the news that uh, Captain Trash has actually made it to the Salon de Refuses, which will be exhibited uh, at uh, uh, the Pan Pacific on the South Wharf um, from June the 3rd. Now, so this, this is the portrait that was done of Captain Trash for the Archibald, is that right? That's right. right. Fantastic. He missed out on the Archibald, went to the Refuses. I asked him last <laughs> night how he felt about it, and he said it was totally appropriate. <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> So uh, that's where it's at, and uh, I'd recommend if anyone's interested in that, they get along and also check out Brenda Walsh Art. I Google that to see uh, the, the artist and the wonderful work she does. Yep. Uh, because I guess it's a way of actually uh, approaching a, a quite a, a serious problem uh, in, through the arts is communicating with a whole range of people who might not otherwise think about plastic pollution. Yeah, great. So where is it again, just in case people missed it? It's going to be the uh, Pan Pacific. Apparently that was the Hilton. All uh, right. They have a convention centre there, yep. convention too, so uh, at the Pan Pacific on South Wharf. Okay, from great. From June the 3rd, so it'd be very exciting. Dr Beach and I are furiously scribbling down. We'll look that up and put those details on, <laughs> yeah, the, on yeah. our Facebook page. Well, it'd be good to get Cap Captain Trash on the show someday, wouldn't it? I think we should. Yeah. yeah. I'll get his people to talk to mine. And right. Really? Yeah. And then That's they good. can talk to ours. Yeah. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Great to have you in, as always, and uh, we'll catch you in a few weeks' time. And without further ado, we will now cross for a surf report with our very own Dr Surf. Good morning, Dr Surf. Morning, Brian. How are you doing? I'm a bit sore. <laughs> oh, why? In Tell a good us. Way. <laughs> Was that from um, jumping up and down and screaming at the telly at the football the other night? No, no, no. It's May. That means surf. Uh-huh. And because I'm an old bugger, I'm... I got a bit carried away yesterday. This is just something I want to point out. I've given up trying to work out when it's crowded or not. Because I went for a surf on Thursday, right, midweek. Twelve guys out in pretty average waves. I went out yesterday on a Saturday afternoon. There was four of us. Beautiful waves. So I, I went a bit silly and caught too many. But anyway, look, the surf's really good. But you would have to go west of Melbourne today. There's a building swell, so don't go down unless you're um, fit and know how to paddle. It's going to be head high around the, the um, point breaks around Torquay this afternoon on the incoming tide. I think low tide's about 10.30. Um, and the next few days are looking fantastic. So it's May. I mean, it's always good in May. The May the swells. still warm. There's good waves. Geelong's on top of the ladder. What more could you want out of life? <laughs> I'm not going to be a grumpy guy today. It's great, sir. We I hope Cade's down there. Oh, he might be. Um, when you say west of Melbourne, are you talking about the entire surf coast? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. You'd have to find a point. But again, the swell's building and it's currently showing 20-second um, period, which means there's a long break between waves which means the swells come from a long way away which means it's powerful so just be a little bit careful if you're not 
um, very experienced. But look, excellent waves, good waves yesterday. Last two weeks have been fantastic, and uh, all is good. Excellent. Are you heading out again today, or are you having a rest day today? Um, look, I'm going to go. It's. I'll see what Mrs. Surf says. I might go down and have a look. I've got a little secret hidey hole I look at it from, and if there's a lot of people out there, I'll just be kind and let them have it. You know, it's not that I'm a misogynistic or masochistic sociopath. Which you're not. That. You're definitely not. We know that. Not today, anyway. <laughs> I don't like people in the water. No way. No. <laughs> hey, so if I, I was... I was down that way yesterday. I had a look at Cape Shank, and there was, um, I think it's called Pillar Rock, just not far from the lighthouse. There's a couple of yep. brave souls out there. That yep. was, um, well, it was pretty full on. Um, yeah. But I see what yeah. you mean. Yeah, big swells, big May well, May swells, May Wests. Did you see any whales? No. Because they've started, I've heard. I haven't seen any yet, but they're just starting. Yeah, they have started. I had um, I had some contact during the week from Dave Donnelly. He's going to be in the next couple of weeks talking about that and uh, about their new mm. app that they've just released. But yeah, the whales have definitely started. So very exciting times. Sure is. Mm. All right, we'll let you go, Dr. Surf. Thanks for joining us. And we'll Thanks have you in that. studio in a couple of weeks and you've got a special guest you'll be bringing in. I have. Yeah, I was going to bring her in today, but she's gone surfing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good it is. Yeah, excellent. Now, next weekend here in Australia, we've got some important voting to do. And how next weekend's federal election washes up will bring potentially a critical turning point in how our nation's leaders will protect our oceans, seas, estuaries and coasts into the immediate future. If you're listening to this program, the marine environment is obviously important to you. And lucky for us all, the AMCS has been hard at work reviewing and analysing the election policies and promises that relate to the marine environment. They've just released a score card that's revealed a stark contrast of policies from the major and some of the more minor parties. To find out all about it, we're now crossing live to Cairns to speak with David Cazzolino from the Australian Marine Conservation Society. Good morning, David. Welcome to Radio Marinara. Hi, Brian. Great to be here. Great to have you here. And um, I thought first up, we need to be really upfront. AMCS is not aligned with any political party. There's no endorsement of any party in any particular. You're not telling people how to vote, are you? Yeah, that's correct. So we're uh, a nationwide marine conservation uh, charity. We have to be really independent of, of uh, party politics. And we developed this scorecard to give our supporters and um, people like your listeners all the information that they need to make an informed vote and, you know, play part in our democracy and hopefully get some good uh, reef and ocean policies out of it. So let's have a look at the scorecard. I um, thought we'd first ask by, I just really wanted to ask you about how you approached it. Um, the Australian coastline, it's obviously huge, it's really diverse ecologically, covers so many different types of ecosystems. How did you know where to start? Yeah, great question. So as you say, you know, Australians love our oceans and um, there's a lot of issues facing um, the marine environment and we uh, wanted to make it um, as concise and um, important as possible so we focus on the issues that we campaign on, um, namely, you know, addressing the climate crisis which impacts on all um, marine and human environments. Um, uh, fixing up water quality, especially in the Great Barrier Reef catchments, you know, the reef is so important um, to our um, people and our economy, um, focusing on restoring Australia's marine sanctuaries, which, you know, there was a huge system uh, put in place in 2012 that was then cut back. Um, so getting that back to be able to have the, uh, the protections in place for our uh, beautiful oceans and wildlife, and then addressing um, the uh, threats to um, our fish stocks um, through overfishing and also tackling 
plastic pollution at its source. So they're the kind of the themes that we went through and there are a few subheadings under all of them. David, it's, um, it's Dr Beach here. Fantastic job getting all this together. But let, let's cut to the chase. Um, mm. Who are you going to be voting for? <laughs> um, well, not re- not quite that, but, but let's look at the, you know, who, who on the balance of things would, you know, who's going to, like, yeah. how the Greens going to go? Yeah, so how their policies we're not going to tell people who to vote for and no. be British about um, charitable status. Um, but we can say is that where the parties stand on the policies when it comes to our reef and ocean. So um, on one hand, we have the Liberal National Gov- Coalition government um, who scored... Um, a miserable, uh, you know, five red crosses out of six, and the only other one that they've got partially met on in terms of our policies is cleaning up reef water pollution. Then we've got Labor, who's got three green ticks, one red cross when it comes to stopping Adani, uh, and then two partially met um, promises. And then you've got the Greens, who have received full marks on our um, scorecard. We've got really quite a comprehensive policy to address each of our um, core issues. Um, David, the scorecard kind of is is a very broad uh, surface look at these kind of key, six key areas. Um, there's another document which you can download and have a look at in which you go into much greater depth on each of the key policy areas. I wanted to ask you about your assessment methods in how you went about assessing the policies. So what kind of criteria did you use in these assessments sort of to come to these kind of three decision points on whether you consider yep. them to be acceptable? So everything we do is based on the best science available and so each of the um, the campaigners in charge of um, the different campaigns within ANCS, uh, we uh, formulated um, what we know we need for our oceans based on the best available science and then we wrote to each of the major parties and the minor parties um, saying, you know, what will you do in relation to this key issue and then we received their um, response and if we didn't receive all the issues, all the responses that we need, we were able to go and look online to see what their uh, available policies were. Uh, and then, yeah, basically comparing them to the, uh, the the science that we need. Okay, so in determining whether a policy gets across uh, a tick or a partially met, yeah. was there, did, did they kind of come out with a score? So, you know, over a certain score, got a tick over under a certain score, sort of got a partially met or across? So it's basically, like, it's pretty obvious from the name. So, like, whether they met or didn't meet the policy is kind of, like, a no-brainer. Sometimes, you know, the the coalition didn't have any policies in relation to a certain area, and so they received a not met. Um, And if they match exactly what we're asking, obviously that's a met. The kind of in-between is much uh, more difficult, as I'm sure you can appreciate. But it's basically whether or not the policy that they put in place would... would, uh, achieve the uh, policy outcome for our oceans and our ocean wildlife and if they got that they'd have a, a green tick and if they only partially met that and so it's the kind of um and we didn't put a number figure on it intentionally because it is hard in certain circumstances to, to do that um but yeah it's basically whether it would go some way to addressing the issue um but not actually get the total outcome that we need Dave, can we just look at one of those issues, and um, it's mm. one one's on your list, tack- tackling plastic pollution of, of our oceans at the source. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Libs, Nats, the Coalition's uh, Red Cross, Labor, partially met, the Greens have a green tick. Can you talk to that issue just a little bit, just a tiny bit, so why the Greens got the big green tick, Labor, mm, partially met, and the Coalition, Red Cross, zero? 
Yeah, for sure. So um, with tackling plastic pollution, um, we really focus on tackling at the source. So all the parties have uh, policies around recycling and those sort of things. But really, um, with the amount of plastic that's going into our oceans every year, that's not going to cut it. We really need to be able to um, introduce um, a national plastic ban on single-use plastics by 2023, and we're aiming for a 70% reduction target for plastic pollution entering our waterways and reaching our oceans. So that was the kind of the bar that we set for the parties. Right. And um, so but then from there, we looked at the different parties, and so we had um, the Liberal National Coalition not committing to any um, ban on single-use plastics or even um, a date on phasing out uh, microbeads. Um, which you might be aware of those tiny things in um, skincare products that can be really bad for ocean wildlife. Um, they've got, yeah, they've got some stuff around recycling, but nothing about tackling the plastic at the source. Uh, Labor, on the other hand, um, has committed to a national ban on plastic microbeads and single-use plastic bags in 2021, but then haven't gone further in terms of the broader national single-use plastic ban. Um, they've got other... Uh, promises around uh, containered deposit schemes, um, et cetera, and they've got some money aside for tackling the waste, but yeah, not getting to that overall target. And then we have the Greens who have committed um, to have dates to banning single-use plastics and market beads, um, and then uh, just more ambition in terms of the money they're putting in um, to phasing out um, plastic pollution at the source. Great. So I think the best thing that we can do is just to put a link to our Facebook page because we've got six different policies and three different parties that have been ranked against them. So there's 18 different boxes. I think if we go through them all, it's probably just going to confuse people. <laughs> best thing that we can do at this point is direct people to your website and then they can have a look for themselves at uh, at your scorecard and then, um, and then go deeper. I would really encourage people to go deeper into some of the descriptions around how you've come up with uh, the decisions on whether the policy's got a, across a tick or a partially met. Uh, what's the best thing that people can do, David? Uh, where's, where's your website? What's, where's, uh, where can people go? Yeah, so everyone should head over to marineconservation.org.au slash election. You'll see all the information there. And I think also to note that, you know, democracy doesn't happen once every three years. Um, on our website, people will find uh, petitions they can sign, actions they can take to be able to apply pressure on our politicians to know that, so that they know that Australians really love our oceans and want to see them protected so that, you know, it's not just a matter of where they stand every three years, but so that they're constantly getting better. Great. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, David, especially on Sunday. We really appreciate it. And um, and, and thanks to the, the, you know, the AMCS for getting this together. I think many people will find this very, very helpful leading up to the election next Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I'm, pleasure. I'm, I'm guessing there's quite a few people who've um, been doing an enormous amount of work on this. Yeah, no, it's all, all good. Thank you so much, guys. Great. Thank you. And a big shout-out to Graham from AMCS who, um, to, who put us in touch with you. Have a great Sunday, David. Thanks so much. Thanks, you too. Okay, bye for now. David Casolino there from the AMCS. I'm certainly going to scoot straight over to that website after this show. Yes. And prepare myself for my, um, well, next week. Excellent. Marineconservation.org.au slash election. And we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. It's coming up to 9.47, 13 minutes to 10. You are listening to Radio Marinara.
It is 11 minutes to 10 now and yes, you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR and uh, yes, certainly the the back half of today's program has had a major focus on next weekend's federal election and one of the major campaigns of 2018 and this year has been running to protect the pristine environment of the Great Australian Bight from deep sea drilling by Norwegian company Equinor. We've been following the Fight for the Bight campaign over the last couple of months with one week to go before Australians take to the polls. Some of you have already done that. We're wondering what are the parties promising in relation to this campaign. Someone who's been looking into this in a very big way is Fight for the Bite campaigner Sean Doherty. We're now crossing to Byron Bay in New South Wales to hopefully get an answer to this burning question. Good morning, Sean. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? We're pretty good yeah, here, Sean. Thank you. We're uh, delighted that you're joining us. Now, when we last caught up, we were planning on having a quick update on the campaign following the closure of public comment. And after 30,000-plus public submissions were received, it was looking like they were most of them were about to be thrown out. What's happened since then? Uh, yeah, well, it's back with Nopsema, which is the uh, the industry regulator at the moment. And... And, and now it's all behind locked doors. So we're, the public are locked out of it, and that was the whole reason to fast-track it and get rid of us, um, the pesky public, from getting involved in it. So it's over to Nopsema. We're not sure where they're at with it. Um, they run on their own time frame. We're not sure when we'll get a decision one way or the other on that. Uh, in the meantime, of course, obviously, uh, federal election, and it's it's coming down, and it's got a little prickly in the last week or so. Yeah, what's what's been happening in the last week? Uh, what you and I had a chat on the phone yesterday, and I alluded to that um, earlier in in the program today. Um, it's it's an issue that has been very much big at a local level, but it's been a bit of a sleeper until the last couple of months at a, at a broader level. But this is suddenly—is there a corner that's just been turned? Uh, absolutely, yeah. It's changed a bit in the last week. The nature of the issue, obviously, uh, there's not a single vote in it. Um, I don't see a lot of paddle-outs happening for the uh, Equinor project. I see a lot of them paddling out against it. Um, It's big on a local level, but obviously the feds are really invested in getting this thing to happen. Labor's fingerprints are all over it because they put the leases in in 2011. The Libs, obviously, being the Libs, want to just make it happen. They want to drill and and dig and, and do whatever they can. Um, so what's resulted in is it, it's invisible. You know, they've, no one has wanted to touch it. No one's wanted to bring it up. All our campaign crew have just been needling their local um, candidates for a position. No one for months has offered a position. They've dodged. They've, they've just put their fingers in their ears and said, la, 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 and just pretended it hasn't happened. Um, in the past week... Though things have shifted big time, um, we had Bill Shorten actually come out and say, or at least acknowledge that he knew the, the the plan existed, but also saying that he'd he'd run a review if they got an elect uh, got elected next week. What a review actually means, I don't know. Um, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. Personally, I think it's bullshit, um, but it's showing that these guys are acknowledging this is a real issue and there's votes in it. Um, and it's it's really flipped the, the script a little bit in the last week. Do you think perhaps uh, there's been some commentary on the fact that this election might not be, uh, well, I'll, I'll flip that, it might be closer than people are expecting it's going to be. Do you think maybe that's what's suddenly lit a fire underneath some people? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think the, the, the feeling all along is that Labor are going to cruise home um, and, and they've been able to ignore this issue, um, but what the, they may think nationally it's a bit closer now than, than they originally thought, and they're looking at this issue and looking at certain um, marginal seats and thinking, well, and look, 
this issue might actually decide three or four of them. Um, we've seen paddle outs like Karangamite straight away. That's probably most, it will get decided by this bite issue. Um, preferences one way or the other will probably decide. There's a bunch of marginals, and I think that the Labor crew are probably a little nervous. Um, and they probably need to take a position some way or the other to the election on this as a result. Yeah, there's, so and there's gonna no... fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating week to watch this roll out. Well, that's right. And there's only six days left as well, so it's really coming down to the wire. Do you know, do you have uh, in front of you the seats that we're talking about? Uh, well, Kringamite, definitely. It's the, most, oh, it's the most marginal seat in Victoria, federally, um, and one of the most marginal in the country. Uh, Boothby's another one over in South Australia. Um, there's a couple over in South Australia... And it just depends on, on where everyone, how big a swing nationally comes around. Um, there's a couple in Tasmania even, like Hunt, um, Greg Hunt seat down there with, uh, with Julia Banks. That's another one that could, you know, conceivably be in, a, be in play. So it, it's just kind of interesting that, that, and the nature of this issue, because the consequence is so broad across such a broad area, it brings in, like it just scoops up all these electorates. Um, so it's, I, I'm sensing that they feel uh, it's it's a danger to them, and and we may see you know like we've seen a shift with Bill actually mentioning it. So we might get something more this week. That's you now we, we got our fingers crossed that that might be the case. Sean, it's it's fascinating that you mentioned Krangamite, that that's one of the ones that that you know might in fact rest on this, and that's because this is a a campaign which has been so sort of you know, I hesitate to use the word beautifully, but it is it kind of warms my heart. It brings tears to my eyes to see these all these people out in the water um, on the west coast. Krangamite, that seat, and uh, it's. I guess I'm just making an observation that it's, it's fascinating that you know, Karangamite could rest on this issue, which is in this great Australian bite. Of course, we all love our entire coastline, but you're getting this transposition from Western Victoria to the bite. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's a perfect microcosm, that, that seat. You're seeing what's happening in seats all around the coast with with a potential effect you know, of this, this development. Um, like, you know, we had Sarah Henderson, the Liberal candidate, actually paddle out like unannounced at the last one um and like i said like both liberal and labor in karangamite had that the two candidates just ignored it they wouldn't go anywhere near it for months and then suddenly she turned up because i think she's desperate for some votes and but we still haven't heard a peep from labor either and also you've got, on the top of that you've got an independent candidate in karangamite damien cole who's running like strongly who has led these protests nationally and so he's going he's gonna to bring a huge pool of votes to him just on the strength of that. And so then it becomes a preference battle. Um, and I can tell you right now, they, they want those preferences, both Liberal and Labor. So it becomes a real issue. You know, it's, it's really kind of, as it's got close to this, this election, it's become a real thing for the, uh, for the major parties. Now there's, um, Sean, there's a growing level of interest with the campaign in Norway itself, isn't there? What's, what's going on in the home of Equinor as far as interest in this? Yeah, well, there's two fronts, obviously, with this. We're dealing with it, with it here domestically, politically. Um, but at the same time, right now, we've actually got a crew over in Norway. They're over in Oslo right now banging the drum on this. Of course, the, the nature of the company that owns... Um, the, the company that wants to do the drilling is two-thirds, two-thirds owned by the Norwegian people. 
So they've got, they've got real leverage over this company and this proposal. So they've been working on the, the, with a bunch of Norwegian crew, like with the Norwegian surf community, for months on this. And so we've got a crew over there at the moment. We've got a mate of mine, Heath Josky, a, a surfer from down in the bite. He's there. Like Uncle Bunner Laurie's over there at the moment with them. There's a bunch of them. And they've been... They've been doing something every day over there. Um, leading up to Wednesday this week is the AGM for Equinor in a town called Stavanger on the coast there. And they are going to go there and, and let the Norwegians know in no uncertain circumstances that, that Australia really thinks this is a bad idea. Um, yeah, and, and that, that certainly seems to be the case that in, in all of the opinions that you hear on this, people are either against it or, as you pointed out before, have got their fingers in their ears and don't want to know about it. But in terms of actually being in favour of it, I've yet to hear or see any indication that, that there's any sort of positive support for this. And given that Equinor, as you pointed out, is two-thirds state-owned, I think the real question is, do, do two-thirds of Norwegians want this to go ahead? Because they've got a stake in this, whether they like it or not. Oh, absolutely. It's been done in their name. So it's like... And, and, and this company's over here. Of course, the, Equinor, only a year ago, were called Statoil. Um, and they rebranded it. And, they, and at home, domestically, they present themselves now as this, as this green, futuristic energy progressive company and but here they are doing their dirty work on the other side of the world. But the thing is, now it's coming back and biting them on the arse. And the Norwegian people are slowly getting a, a sense of this. Um, they're going to get a real sense of it this week over there because it's, it's all through the press. It's made it into Norwegian Parliament. So people know about it now and they're up in arms because it's not what they're being sold. You know, they're, they're being sold that their national company. And there's a huge sense of pride with this with this company and with the sovereign wealth fund and the way Norwegian, Norway, Norway is a fabulously wealthy country and it's been built on oil wealth, but they've been smart enough to squirrel it away and, and they've got this, you know, $1.4 trillion fund for the people that people own. It's built on oil, so they're kind of proud of that. But now, when they're actually seeing the way that this company is operating and the subterfuge and, and the fact that it's being sold something very different uh, to the reality of it, it's you know, the Norwegians are waking up to it. Like, I, I personally think it's our best bet to get this thing knocked off is for the Nor for Equinor at home to, to just to just get so much pressure that they just they just walk away from it. So, fingers crossed, it's going to be a very interesting week in Norway. Uh, stay tuned. And, uh, Sean, we'll have to wrap it up, but if people want information and want to kind of follow this over the next six days, because it really is coming down to the wire, what's the best way that they can follow uh, what the Fight for the Bike campaign is doing? Yeah, um, obviously the, the, all the, the Wilderness Society are over there as well. They're leading the, the charge, so you can keep an eye on their site. Social media is going to be everywhere. Um, you know, Heath Josky's uh, site, the Fight for the Bite Alliance page. Um, there'll be plenty of news around it. Um, but, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be a hectic week both here in Australia and in Norway. And yep. let's, uh, let's have fingers crossed by the end of it we get a little something. Excellent. Well, we'll keep in touch with you and hopefully catch up with you next week just for some wash-up. We may not even have a result for the election next week, but we'll uh, we'll wait with bated breath and not just wait, we'll get in there and, and um, for those of us who are passionate about it, get involved as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Sean, and um, we'll, good luck for the next week and we'll catch up with you soon. No worries. Thanks for your support as always. No worries. Good on you. Thanks, Sean. Bye for now. See ya.
Sean Doherty there in Byron Bay uh, about the Fight for the Bite campaign, which brings us to the end of this week's Radio Marinara. Thank you to all our guests, uh, Sean Doherty uh, from Fight for the Bite, David Catsalino from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, Dr Surf, we had, and Neil Blake was in studio as well. Thank you, Dr Beach. My complete pleasure. Thank you so much to Kent. Uh, he has been panel beating for us, panel operating. We'll have to give you our, our own nautical term. Thanks, Kent. And uh, stay tuned for radiotherapy. I can see Dr Mal's out there with, uh, with his team of um uh, what do we call them doctors that'll do yeah that'll do people people <laughs> waiting to get into the studio and uh yeah look you uh, have a lovely mother's day if if that is what you do and have a day of reflection if it is not and we will catch you next week for more radio marinara bye for now this has been a podcast oh. from three triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly oh. independent community radio Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.